You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Told you over at least probably four weeks, maybe five weeks, we're going to be uh, kind of reviewing the goals that we set several years back. Um, kind of the direction that we wanted to take the church as elders over the course of five years, things that we really wanted to to do, pushing ourselves forward after being in existence, I want to say, for four years at the time, uh, really trying to think through where were we headed now that we had kind of gotten some things established. We had just recently moved into this facility and had kind of gotten a, a permanent location uh, answered for us. And so really trying to think through um, what did God want us to do moving forward as a church. Um, and so just kind of think through that. And, and then we taught on it uh, pretty extensively um, four years ago now. So we're technically supposed to be entering in year four, so one more year before these goals are supposed to be accomplished. But we're kind of making the rules as we go anyways, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the weary year that I experienced last year, and we're just going to take that and throw it out because that was in that was a, a year where I was not trying to move us forward in these goals. I was just trying to kind of hang on and, and persevere and, and work through weariness in my own life. So we'll just take that year out and pretend like that year didn't really even happen as far as these goals go. So technically we're entering year four of our five-year goal plan. So we've got two years to kind of think through the accomplishment and the fulfillment of some of these goals. Um, So everybody just take a big sigh of relief. We don't have to rush anything. We're kind of making this up as we go. Um, No set rules that we have to adhere to, okay? But I think it's healthy for us to keep kind of a timetable in mind. Otherwise, these goals just kind of stay big and vague and ambiguous, and and it's just kind of always something that we're sort of working towards, but no real urgency to do anything about. The fact is, coming out of Revelation, we know that Jesus is coming back, and, and given your understanding of, of some of those things, could really come back at any time. And so there needs to be some urgency about the things that our church is intentionally seeking to do. Okay, so um, I would love to see us accomplish a lot over the next two years in regards to these goals. And if we get to the, the year, the end of, of year five, and there's still some things that we haven't done, that's okay too, right? Like, like the goal was to move us forward. Um, and if we need to come up with a way to add on some time after that, we can do that too, okay? Um, the goal is to keep our church moving forward in the direction of what God mandates that a local church be. Um, and so that's the, that's the heart and the intent of some of these goals. And, and, and a lot of you have come since we, we kind of communicated these, okay? So for me, the marker of when we even did this was right after Bobby and Yvonne and their family came to our church because it really came from a conversation that I had at their house over breakfast one morning. They were looking at our church, seeking to, to determine whether they wanted to join our church. And so they, they asked the question, what, what goals do you have for your church over the next five years? And I was like, man, that's a great question. And there were things that I had in place in my mind that I was thinking through, but had never really thought in terms of packaging them that way. And so it wasn't long after they started visiting that, that I really started to sit down and say, okay, what, what do we want to do over the next five years? Where are we going over the next five years? So um, that's where some of that kind of came from, even thinking in terms of five-year increments, okay? So for those of you that are unfamiliar with our goals, um, they kind of flow out of this idea that we want to work intentionally to grow bigger as a church and to give more as a church so that our members can go and plant more churches, all right? 
uh, we want to we want to grow bigger as a church, but we're not dead set on outgrowing this building necessarily. Because once we start to reach capacity for some of our facilities, if we can't find somewhere else in Sonoy that allows us a little bit more growth, our our goal really is to get to 150 and then branch off and create another church. Right? That's obviously pending. God raising up the right leadership to then go and do that. Okay, so we've equipped elders in our church. Uh, Marcus is in training to be an elder in our church, but we still need someone who is willing to assume full-time teaching responsibility in a church plant. And that's something you can't manufacture, right? Like that's not something that, that we can make happen. That's, that's prompting by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and we've had some individuals that have explored that. Um, and we've done our best to, to potentially try to, to, to bring some people to do that. And I'll talk about that as we kind of work through each goal and just kind of update you on some of those things. Um, but we want to grow bigger as a church, and we want to give more of our money as a church so that we can plant churches locally and globally. And that gave us those five goals that we wanted to see accomplished in five years, to grow our current membership to 150 people. And we, we, we stated that we want that to be as much as possible through new conversions. We love people coming to us that are already Christians. We love people moving into this area and joining our church. We, we love and welcome people who have... Uh, for whatever reason, found a need to leave their previous church, and we work through those reasons to make sure they're biblical reasons. But we also want to be very welcoming to people that are already Christians, but we want to see our church increase in number because of new conversions as much as possible. We want to establish five elders and five deacons that shepherd the church biblically and lead the church in service faithfully because the goal would be to take some of that leadership and move it, relocate it to a new church plant Number three was to start an active local ministry that's serving the less fortunate in our area. And then number four, and this was how it was originally communicated when we first started, to strategize a plan and new location in this area to plant a second Sovereign Hope Church campus when we reach 150 members. And then number five, to begin the initial phase of planting a church overseas by sending six to eight people to live and invest in a new area for Christ. All right, and so... Um, I mean, some of these things we've made great progress in, right? We, we've got five deacons currently. When we started, we had two. We had two, Chris and Melissa. When they both left, they kind of rotated off of that, that deacon body, and we've added five since we communicated these goals. So technically, we've had seven deacons um, since, we, since we implemented this plan. We've got one elder in training currently. Um, we've talked and explored the idea of others coming and kind of transplanting to our church. I've had serious conversations with two people that are extremely close to me about the possibilities of moving here and potentially becoming a teaching pastor. Now, neither one of those came to fruition, um, and those conversations have had it happened multiple times over the last three years and may continue to happen. Um, but there's certainly been an active desire on our part to find people to come and be a part of what we're trying to do and to get the leadership in place to do it. Uh, raise your hand if you've come to our church, or when you came to our church, Bobby and Yvonne were here. Raise your hand if they were already here when, when you showed up. Okay, so, so we've had people, we've had people, we've had people that have come since they started visiting our church. So, so these are people that came post-communication of this goal, and there are people that aren't here today that would also fall into that category, like Rob and Robin. Okay, so we've had, we've had a, a, a lot of people that have come and been a part of our church since this has been communicated. I think right now 
on a typical Sunday, if you're not, if you're, just from an attendance standpoint, if you count adults and kids, we're up in the 70, 70 range, okay? And that's, that's not everybody being here at one time. I think we have membership-wise between 43 and 45 adults, not counting kids. Um, so we're starting to creep closer and closer to that number. And we may not be able to fit 150 people in this facility, and we may have to relocate in order to get to that number. I felt like 150 members was a healthy place to get to in order to then break off and send enough people to sustain a new church plant somewhere else in this area too. Right? Like Nobody wants to be a part of three families that go and try to do this and, and are just really squandering and trying to find a way to make this happen. Like You want to feel like, hey, there's a big group of us that can go do this. But I think, I think there's a lot of people in this area that like, that like the, the small church feel, right? Because there's plenty of big churches. We don't need to replicate and try to be another big church. There's plenty of big churches around here, plenty of good big churches around here. We want that small community for those that, that would look more for that, that don't necessarily need the programs and, and a lot of the things that the big church brings, that, that instead we have that intimate community right here. But we don't want to be a dead church that's not growing either. We want to grow, but we want to stay small to maintain that intimate fellowship. That's where the church planting mindset came from to keep reproducing ourselves. So over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of walk through these, see where we're at currently, see some things that we've tried to do that maybe has worked uh, or hasn't worked, and and then kind of set a course for where we're going moving forward over at least the next two years. Our goal as elders is to kind of look through these and kind of scale them down and make them manageable and give us some step processes to go through to get to the fulfillment of these goals. That's what I want to do over the next few weeks. I want to see from Scripture why these are even goals for us. Like like where do these come from? Are, Are they even scriptural for us to be pursuing some of these things? Okay, so those are the five goals we'll be talking about over the next several weeks. Our summary sentence for today, we are talking about that goal related to local ministry, starting something that would help us care for the less fortunate. And I want to repackage it as we go into year four to where it now states that our goal is to establish an active presence in our community by creating intentional ways for our members to serve the less fortunate together, specifically targeting opportunities to care for widows and orphans. For our kids, our church wants to value widows and orphans like God does. So here's kind of the tweak or the change to this. We're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're gonna no longer say that it has to be something fresh and new, per se, that, that we have to come up with something different than what everybody else is doing. But what we do want to provide, especially as people kind of go through the membership process, specific ways for individuals and families to partner with us in local community care, specifically with the area of widows and orphans. All right, so it may be us coming alongside ministries that are already in place. There may come a point where we feel the need to create something new to supplement some of the things that are already in place, but kind of removing the necessity in the goal that we have to start something new, but instead being very intentional to provide you intentional ways to serve the less fortunate together in our area and for there to be a way for everybody in this church to do that, not just one or two people that have a heart for this, right? 
I want us to see today that we all need to have a heart for widows and orphans, and we can all find a way to serve in this capacity, some on bigger scales, some on smaller scales, but I, w- I want us to find a way for all of us in our church to be able to have an outlet to do that through this local church, okay? So we want to establish an active presence in our community, create intentional ways for our members to serve the less fortunate together, specifically in the area of care for widows and orphans, okay? A couple of years ago, we had kind of talked about what we wanted our church to be known for in relationship to these goals. So I kind of jotted that down from that sermon series when we talked about serving. We had said at that time, we desire to be known for showing compassion and care to others, resulting in the use of gifts and resources bestowed to our members. So that's, that's still the goal for us to, to be able to care for people, to use gifts and, and resources that have been given to you to then turn around and be able to use those to care for others that God has placed within our community, all right? Um, The elders are reading a book right now. It's not necessarily a Christian book. Um, It's more of a a business leadership type book, but it's called Start With Why. And and the premise of the book is that for you to do something, you need to kind of have a why behind it, okay? So so why this goal? Why, why, Why worry about trying to care for widows and orphans in our area? Why worry about local community care? Caring for the less fortunate is a manifestation of God's heart and a benchmark for living out the Christian life. We're going to see that in some passages today. It's a manifestation of God's heart. We're going to see God's heart, especially for widows and orphans in the Old Testament, just by reading through some passages of Scripture. It's not just found in James 1.27. Like, that's the one that we're most familiar with. Pure and undefiled religion right, to visit orphans and widows, remain unstained from the world. Like that one typically is the one that comes to mind. But man, the Bible's full of passages that identify the the need to care for widows and orphans, the husbandless and the fatherless, right? So when we do this, we are are bringing God's heart that's communicated in scripture, and we're bringing that into the, the present reality for people. We are being the extension of God's heart to show that God cares for widows and orphans. We are the people that God uses to do that, all right? It's a benchmark for living out the Christian life. Um, We'll see from Matthew 25 in a minute that, man, when when God comes to separate, when Jesus comes to separate the sheep from the goats, the, the, the distinction is who is taking care of the less fortunate and who has not, all right? For our kids, caring for others is an important part of being a Christian. Think about it this way. When, when Jesus is on the cross and he's dying, besides talking to his father, there's two human people that, that he talks to, right? He talks to the thief on the cross next to him, kind of showing his heart for sinners and salvation. And secondly, he's talking to John and his mom and making sure that his mom is cared for now that he'll be physically absent from her, right? Like, we don't know what happened to Joseph, but, but most conservative commentaries would say that something happened to Joseph because he never really shows back up, right? That he probably died potentially when Jesus was very young. And so Jesus had probably been providing care for his mom, and now he's about to be physically removed from her as kind of her caregiver. And what does he do? He unites John and his mom together and says, I need you to take care of her. 
Man, that shows a manifestation of God's heart as well, that here's a, here's a woman who is a widow that is potentially going to have family member removed from the ability to take care of her, because we'll see 1 Timothy 5, that, that first priority in caring for a widow comes from the family. Remember, at this time, Jesus' brothers aren't believers, so Jesus isn't going to leave the care of his mom up to unbelieving siblings at this point. He says, John, I need you to take care of her. Okay, so caring for the less fortunate is certainly a manifestation of God's heart. It's a benchmark for living out the Christian life. That's why we are setting this goal, because we want, as elders, you to have an outlet here through this church where we can do this together, not expecting you to go find ways to do this on your own, to be able to do this together, so that when Jesus shows up and calls his people, it's very evident that we're a part of that group. Man, because we have been living out the Christian faith together in the local church setting. All right? For our kids, just to clarify, because we're going to say these two terms often today. A widow is a woman who has lost her husband for some reason. And we're going to see later when we look at 1 Timothy 5, this does not necessarily uh, exclude or only include women who have had their spouse die. Okay? This is, a, this is a woman who has lost her spouse for any reason. They've been abandoned by their husband, been divorced by their husband, had their husband die. I think, I think all of those women fall into this category of someone that the church needs to be aware of and needs to evaluate what care do we need to extend to these ladies. And an orphan is a child without a mom or a dad. Okay, So a widow is a woman who has lost her husband for some reason. An orphan is a child without a mom or dad. Let me get some help from you guys in reading through some of these passages so we all feel like we're kind of participating uh, together today. Because I do want, over the next couple of weeks, there to be times of discussion, times of Q&A if necessary. But I want this to be something that we, we are doing together. Like the big thing coming out of the next several weeks is that these goals are something that we do together, not just as elders. Okay, so let's read through some passages in the Old Testament and kind of see God's heart for the less fortunate. So I'm going to give some of these out and just kind of raise your hand if you want to, if you want to do one. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Anna, Deuteronomy 16, 11. Anyone want that one? Dallas. Deuteronomy 25, verses uh, 5 through 10. Jeremy. Uh, Job 22, 9. Who wants that one? Vaughn. Psalm 68, 5, Maggie. Psalm 82, 3 through 4, Jordan. Psalm 146, 9, um, Renee. Jeremiah 49, 11, Will. Zechariah 7, 8 through 14. What's that one, Marcus? Malachi 3, 5. All right, Bobby, we'll stop there. All right, who's got Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18? All right, read that for us. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. All right, here we're, give, we're given some, some insight into God's heart, specifically that he executes particular justice for the widow and the orphan. Okay, for the widow and the orphan, he executes particular justice. Deuteronomy sixteen eleven. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, the servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, 
and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. All right, God's given instructions to Israel as they're moving into the promised land, and he is identifying everybody, but kind of grouping them to make sure that everybody sees their inclusion in these instructions. And so he places great value and identity upon the widow and the orphan here. Like they're not getting left out of the requirements and the expectations of God's people. They are fully included in this. He places great value upon those two groups of people. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. All right, this sounds like one of those funny laws that you like, you know, this is, this is a law in Georgia that you just didn't know existed, right? Like, I mean, this was, this was a serious thing for the people of Israel, and it shows that the concern that God had for a woman who lost her husband and to make sure that she had immediate care provided for her, that she wasn't going to have to wonder, you know, how is God going to provide for me, that there was to be a, a, an immediate uniting with a family member to kind of come and take her. We saw this in Genesis as well kind of getting played out in the narrative. We certainly see it in the story of Boaz and Ruth. It's why they come together because he had a, a, a family responsibility to, to take her and to marry her. And, and we see that the, the first relative that was supposed to do it de- decides, he declines to do it. And so Boaz kind of steps in and plays that role for her. But the reason that it's even in place is because God places great care and concern upon the widow. All right, uh, Job 22.9. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. All right, this is an accusation by one of Job's friends. Remember, they're trying to figure out, why is all this bad stuff happening to Job, right? And so they even start trying to make up some stuff. And one of the things they accuse him of is not taking care of widows and orphans like he should have. Like, Job, you have failed. You have sent widows away. You haven't cared for them. And you have not taken care of orphans. This is why God is judging you. Right, so even in the minds of, of the people at that time, the, the people who were kind of following Yahweh, their mindset was, I mean, you don't mess with widows and orphans. Like you care for them. To do otherwise would be to potentially reap God's judgment. Isaiah chapter 21, uh, Isaiah 1 verse 21 says, How the faithful city has become a whore, she who was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Man, he's accusing this city of, of being a great city and then becoming a whore. Man, this is, this is real relevant to what we talked about in Revelation, right? Like, like the, the, the prostitute city. You know what a prostitute city looks like? It's one that doesn't take care of its widows and its orphans. 
He says the, the, the widow's needs aren't coming to you. You're not hearing them. You're not bringing justice to the fatherless. Mistreatment of widows and orphans was viewed as a serious offense. Psalm 68, 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Man, God, God accepts this title of being the father to the fatherless and the protector of widows. Like he wants to be known as that. When we think of the names of God, and this is one that he takes himself, I'm the father of the fatherless. I'm the protector of widows. Psalm 82, three through four. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. All right, here the expectation is kind of placed on us to find ways to help the fatherless, right? Like we're to seek out ways to perform this duty to them. Back in Isaiah chapter one, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. I mean, the call here is for God's people to be intentional about figuring out how do you care for these people? How do you take care of these people? How do you make sure that they are um, watched after? Psalm 146.9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. By the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. All right, so God sustains the widow and the orphan. He, he preserves them. Jeremiah 49.11. Let your fatherless children, or leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. All right, in this section, this is God's judgment on Edom, the people of Edom. And even in the midst of judgment, God's talking about extending mercy to the widows and the orphans. They're invited to kind of trust God uniquely, like leave them to me, but judgment is coming upon you. So even in the midst of God bringing about wrath upon this people group, he kind of singles out widows and orphans and says, I may take care of them. I may preserve them. Even in the midst of this sin, they kind of have a special relationship with me. Zechariah 7, 8 through 14. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other, but they refuse to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the other words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they, so when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. All right, so... Here, the failure to, to care for widows and orphans brings about God's judgment. We see the same thing, or at least a warning in Exodus 22, verse 22. says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my, my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. So certainly some high expectations placed upon, upon God's people to to care for widows and orphans, to figure out how to do it, to make sure that they're not left to themselves, okay? Um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, 
and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. All right, so, so God is certainly watching. Um, the treatment of widows and orphans is kind of on his radar. You know, like, he, like he's evaluating how people respond to these two people groups. Moving into the New Testament, um, Acts chapter 6 is that passage where we, we typically think of the first deacons kind of coming from. But this is right after the church really starts and begins to multiply. <clears throat> right Before they can even put together children's ministries and youth groups and uh, singles ministries and young at heart ministries, like before they can even think about all the programs that oftentimes fill up a church, I mean, it's, in its early birth, what are they doing? They're providing for widows. Right, like it's the thing that caused some disunity because not all of the widows were being cared for properly, right? And so there was some grumbling and disputing about, man, we're not being loved and cared for like other widows. And what what do the apostles do at that time? Do they say, you know what? Come to think of it, we shouldn't even be doing this. Like, go take care of yourselves. No, they say this is absolutely something that needs to be done. We have some other things that we have to tend to do. As, as the apostles, as the leaders of the church, but we need to raise up some additional leadership to make sure this gets done, right? Like they don't minimize the importance of the giving of funds and food to the widows. They say, you know what? It's so important. It needs kind of its own, its own leadership to oversee it. And that's really important for us. As we see in the Old Testament, widows and orphans, extremely important in the context of the nation of Israel, right? Like that's its own country, its own government. So we would expect that God would say some things there in that context that don't always get carried over into the New Testament because the church doesn't know country boundaries, right? Like, like it's, it's outside of nations. And so we can't operate under a government run by God because we all submit to the governments where we live as Christians. The church is, in, is, is to the ends of the earth. But to see that even in that setting where, where the church is now flowing into multiple nations, man, the early church realized caring for the widows is something we keep doing. We don't leave it to our government simply to take care of them. We have a role to play in this as the church. Okay, so they don't minimize it. They say, you know what, we actually need to give careful attention to this and make sure we have good people in place to take care of our widows. The next passage is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. And if you want to go ahead and turn there. That's where we're going to kind of evaluate some specific, clear instructions given to the church about caring for widows, and, or for caring for widows specifically. But widow care is certainly seen as necessary work within the church. All right, so some introduction here, 1 Timothy chapter 5, certainly, uh, if not the whole letter, it's a corrective passage in nature, meaning Paul has given these instructions to Timothy not as new instructions or, hey, you probably aren't aware of this. He's correcting behavior that was already happening and it needs to change, okay? So he's instructing them about this because it probably was not happening and maybe the opposite was happening in the context of this church, all right? So when we read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, it says, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. 
But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. All right. Some things that I think should jump out to us as corrective things that need to be addressed in this church. One, seems like the widows are not being cared for. They're not being honored properly and it needs to change because there's some real clear instructions about cleaning up the process. Younger widows seem to be violating something, right? Like it says that they're, um, make sure I get the word right. Um, Verse 11, their passions draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry, so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. A lot of different ideas there about what's going on. It's not a, a huge point for what we're trying to make here, but one of the things that's suggested is that a lot of times these younger women were potentially marrying unbelievers as kind of an immediate reaction to losing their husband. You can kind of see how this would potentially be true because and I think we see this a lot of times in our own society. You have a woman who loses her husband and, and it, it kind of changes the dynamic of dating, right? Like if you've been married for, for several years and, and you've gotten older, but you're not maybe to the age where you say, hey, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to get married because of the age I'm at. Like I'm still of an age where I want to be married, but the pool of, of men that are pursuing women is, is maybe not always, you know, great. And so the, the woman potentially lowers her standards and, and, and marries somebody who, who's not who she would have considered before, but kind of longs and desires to get back into that relationship. And so, man, it's, it's definitely possible what was happening here is that these younger widows were kind of enrolled in some help within the church and maybe even serving in the church. And then they're kind of disqualifying themselves, not just for getting married, but even maybe who they were choosing to marry, right? Um, so, Paul wants to kind of clean up that process and, and make sure that, that, that that's kind of watched over. You potentially have older, unqualified widows who are serving and receiving care, and they shouldn't be because of their character, right? Because there's a, a lot of instruction about the type of widow that we want to help to the fullest extent. You know, like, like if we're going to enroll them in like regular financial care, they need, to, they need to have, like, spiritual qualifications is what's given to us here in 1 Timothy 5. Um, and, and I'm curious, and I'm trying to do some research to see if there's any churches in our area that actually have, like, a policy where they have, like, widows, like, under some type of official enrollment. Because I've never really heard of that. I've never really heard of that in any of the churches that I've been a part of. That's, that's certainly not to say that, that that's not out there. Um, but I would love to talk with some leadership who have actually kind of thought through what enrolling a widow within their church even looks like. Because these instructions seem to be 
kind of an ongoing, regular financial care being provided to these women. The big issue I think that's happening here is that the families weren't doing their job to take care of the widows in the first place. Like Paul seems to be saying, we really don't want this to get to the point where the church has to provide financial care for widows. It really needs to come from the family members first and only when family members aren't present or are incapable or just simply unavailable to do so, then the church would kind of step in and provide regular financial care for the widow, okay? Um, The term honor here means to show respect, care, and support to treat graciously. So there's certainly some financial aspects to it, as well as simply just hospitality and, and love and kindness and care and relationship building. I think this tied in as well. The term widow here Um, again, is not inclusive only to those who have had their spouse die. It's a word that really means a woman who is robbed or has suffered loss. It carries the idea of being alone. So what it's doing, the word really describes a situation, not what led to the situation, okay? So when we say in the context here, what is a widow? It's a woman who is in a situation. We're not being told how she got in a situation, did the man just leave her? Did he divorce her or did he die? Doesn't seem to be relevant to the situation here. It's a woman who has lost her husband, has kind of had her life changed in ways that she wasn't planning for, okay? And it can certainly be just as devastating from a shock value to lose a spouse through death or to lose it through divorce, right? Like I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm helping two of my teachers right now who have just fi- or just about to finalize divorces where their husbands have left them. Man, and it, it has thrown their world completely out of whack. I mean, they're trying to figure out how do I support myself? How do I keep my house? How do I pay the bills? I mean, I mean they, they didn't plan for this. They didn't sign up for this, but both husbands have chosen to go wandering towards other women and have left the family structure. And now they're trying to figure out how do I pick up the pieces, Right? That same thing happens when, when somebody suddenly loses their spouse to death, too. Um, and so it's certainly something that needs to be on the radar of the church. How do we make sure that these people are cared for specifically? And when you think in terms of widow not just being somebody whose spouse dies, I mean, that expands the responsibility of the church immeasurably, right? Um, we're not just looking for women who have lost their spouse through death. And especially as we continue to get closer to the Antichrist and Jesus coming back, we've talked about sexual immorality, and, and certainly divorce is, is a part of that when it's not handled biblically. And so I think we're going to continue to see this become something that we have to care for. Our church is still very small, right? But our, we have women who fall into this grouping now, right? We have women who fall into this expanded definition of widow. They, they need to be on our radar. We need to make sure that they're being cared for and loved upon because scripture mandates that, okay? Um, Let's see here. Um, Two key points that I want you to to see from this passage, and then we're gonna kind of go through it verse by verse. First, we we have to support widows, but there's also a mandate to evaluate the widows that we're gonna support, okay? So I'm gonna give you four questions that we as the church try to answer, and we try to help a, a, a lady answer for herself as well in seeing how this passage potentially applies to a given situation. All right, so we've got to support widows, 
and we must evaluate widows. All right, so going back to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, honor, honor widows who are truly widows. All right, so the first question is, is she really a widow? Is she really a widow? And by that we mean, does she fall into a category that, that needs our support, demands our support? Okay, so any woman who, who loses her husband falls into this category. And then are they really a widow means are they really left alone in such a way where they need support? Do they need help, right? Because, I mean, if, you, if you're married to a millionaire and he dies and leaves you his fortune, you don't need to show up at the doorstep of the church and say, what you got for me, right? Like, it's what do you have for us? Because you've now inherited like a great fortune. So in that sense, we have to evaluate where is the need, what is the need, Right? And it certainly necessitates some real intentional to discussion to even determine what is a need and what is a desire kind of thing. Right, Financial responsibility would possibly apply to the church if she's truly in need, if she's truly left without proper support. She's certainly a widow if she has no family structure in place to help her. We would need wisdom in discerning what is need and what is desired by the woman for standard of living. I mean, it's tough. It's tough, and I've had conversations with some of the teachers at my, at my school about this, that they may have to sell their house and downsize, right? They have to make some changes to their life for things that aren't absolutely necessary given the new circumstances of their life, right? Like things have changed absolutely, and things may have to continue to change before they kind of level out a little bit, right? Um, even if a woman loses her husband and has a million-dollar fortune coming to her, while we would say that she doesn't need financial support from the church, she certainly needs a lot of other things from the church in the midst of that season of her life and moving forward as well. This passage, I think, is specifically talking about women in our church that would need financial care, okay? This does in no way prohibit us from providing um, a lot of other care for people who don't need the financial piece, right? So, man, the, the obligation would fall on us. We should certainly have uh, widows over to our house. We should go to their house. We should include them. We should go above and beyond to make sure they feel loved and cared for within the church. They may not need financial support from us, but they certainly need to be cared for as an extension of God's heart for them by us, okay? Um, so is she really a widow in, term, in determining how much financial care we give? Number two, is her family doing their job? Is her family doing their job? And there's some responsible parties that are listed here. And I think for us to accurately determine if somebody needed financial care, we would have to kind of work through a process of talking with their family members too to come alongside and provide that type of support. Because it says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. This is how you continue to honor your parents. What Ephesians says, what Exodus says in the Ten Commandments, how you keep honoring your parents when you're outside the house. Your job is to take care of your parents as they get older and as potentially that your father dies and your mom is by herself. It's our job to take care of them as family members first. And that's convicting for me because I don't know if I've thought about my mom who, who my dad left in the context of a widow like this. 
But here's the thing. If, if my mom is physically unable to cut her grass or to take care of herself, that, that falls on me first before it falls on her church. Like, like, I don't need somebody else cutting my mom's yard from their church. That, that should fall on me, right? Like, I need to take care of her first before somebody else has to kind of come in and take care. Now, now there's all kinds of factors that kind of play into that, right? Like, wh- where, do, where do the grandchildren and the children live, and, and what's their schedule availability? But man, the first priority for taking care of, of women it falls on the family member. That's, that's what Paul says. He says, you got children, grandchildren, and then it's even stated that the, that the men in the family, says if, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So even beyond the children and grandchildren, there's a responsibility for just the men of the family structure in general to kind of evaluate, hey, what's going on in our larger family and what role do I need to play in caring for any widows that are in my family structure? Then beyond that, you skip down to the very bottom. It says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. So you got children, grandchildren, then just the general men in the family structure, and then just the general women in the family structure before the church is really ever supposed to step in and provide the financial care, right? So there's a big family responsibility. So this applies to everybody in this room, whether you're married or not, because every one of us fits one of these categories I need to step back and think about my family. Is there anybody in my family that needs this type of care, and have I not been providing it like I should be, right? Is she really a widow? Is her family doing their job? How we treat our family is usually a good indicator of our spiritual growth. This is the same letter where we're told the qualifications for elders and deacons, right? And what's one of the main qualifications? They know how to take care of their house, right? Like they, they manage their house well. They manage their children well. So there's always kind of this precedent that one of the ways you show spiritual growth is how you're functioning within your family. Home is kind of a proving ground for your godliness. If you have widows in your family network and you fail to care for them, there's two things that you're guilty of, Paul says, right? It says, um, Verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, nobody needs to panic here and say, oh no, I think I just thought of a widow in my family. I'm not taking care of them. Do I need to get saved again this morning, right? Like, like we're not talking about denying the faith as though like you've, you've forfeited your salvation or lost your salvation. I think what denying the faith here means is that ultimately you are denying the biblical principle of compassionate love that often defines what Christianity is, right? Like, like God gave his son for us, right? While we were his enemies, while we were sinners, God gave his son to die on the cross for us. I mean, it's what, it's what Christianity is, that aspect of compassionate love and the giving and the sacrificial care. For us not to provide that, and we're denying one of the foundations of our faith, Right, so, so we'd be guilty of not living out our faith. We said it's a benchmark of Christianity to care for the less fortunate. So if you're not doing this, you're, you're denying the faith in the sense that you're not living it out. You're worse than an unbeliever because even lost people take care of their own. Right, like even lost people without following the example of Jesus, without being empowered by the Holy Spirit, even lost people get the idea of taking care of family members. So to not do that as a Christian you're worse than an unbeliever, because even an unbeliever would know to do that. 
Okay, so Paul's saying we got to get that fixed because the church is only obligated to step in when family has failed. Either the family is unwilling or they are unable or they are unavailable. Right? The unwilling one is the sinful one. Right? Like we're not gonna we're not gonna judge anybody and say that they're sinful for not taking care of somebody if they're simply unavailable to do so. They they live too far away to do it. Or or they're unable to financially they can't do it the, the sinful part is where you say i'm just not going to do it okay and that's for all of us we need to all step back and kind of say any situations in our family where we need to be more intentional of providing care so that it doesn't fall to a local church to have to do that second piece is for us to step back and say anybody in our church that needs additional care because maybe they can't receive it from their family members okay and to be alert that we may have more situations come our way in the future. All right, number three, is she open to remarriage? she open to remarriage pending the age of where she's at in life? Um, the type of care that's even provided. And I, and I would certainly believe that a woman who goes through divorce potentially in our church or, or loses a spouse, and they're going to need great guidance from the other women in the church when and if the season of, of dating comes back around again because the the pool of men that are available uh, is not always the best um and hearts can get entwined very quickly and i've seen that before where where you see somebody that's now in a relationship with it with a man and you're just like that would not have happened before same same can be true on the flip side too but in the context of talking about widows here man for our women to even be there to provide help and guidance um through that potential process. And I know, and I know I get it. Like when both spouses are alive, like the concept and the thought of even remarrying down the road is like, like, no, that would never happen kind of thing. But, but it does often happen, right? When, when somebody loses their spouse, oftentimes, oftentimes remarriage happens. And there certainly needs to be guidance provided by the church, specifically by the women in the church to help make sure that's a a holy, healthy process. Okay. Uh, Number four, is she doing her job? As the widow, is she doing her job? Because, man, some of the things that are listed here aren't that far off from qualifications of deacon and elder, right? She has to be of a certain age that makes sense that she would not be pursuing a remarriage and not potentially mess that process up. It says, having a reputation for good works. She's brought up children. She's shown hospitality. She's washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work. This is the type of person that kind of fits the category of maybe ongoing financial care by the church. And we may not have anybody like that for a while. But we certainly want to be ready, willing, and able if we ever are put in that type of spot to care for uh, widows that may be brought to us. Um, you know, Tiffany's not here this morning, but, you know, I think we said even last week, like, when we first started the church and Adam got really sick and there were some things happening there, we didn't know what was happening I know Tiffany at least entertained the idea, I may lose my husband right here. You know, so it's not a crazy thought to think that we could have somebody lose their spouse and us immediately have to step in and figure out how do we care for this widow? How do we take care of her? Right, so we want to kind of be thinking through that um, as as a possibility to be ready when that were to happen. Um, As Christians, as the church, we're obligated to help committed Christian widows. She's described as somebody who trusts God. Her hope is fixed on him. She continues in prayer. So she's a a committed uh, Christian who's being sanctified. 
Now, I was reading John MacArthur's thoughts on this, and, and he says, you can choose to help non-Christian widows, but we are mandated to help the Christian ones. It's not possible to care for every widow in your area. You're mandated to take care of these, and then maybe anything beyond that would be extra. So he's kind of setting parameters. You can't leave these women out. They have to be cared for. Beyond that, you're kind of free to operate and potentially serve and care for others as well, but these have to be cared for. All right, so thinking in terms of commands to obey from this passage, families support your widows. Widows live godly lives and church care for those who need it. Care for those who need it. All right, so from an application standpoint, so here's what I want to do each week that we're talking about this. One, I want to kind of repackage the goal so we all know what is the goal that we're trying to meet as a church over the next couple of years. So we've done that this morning, right? We want to establish an active presence in our community, creating intentional ways for our members to serve the less fortunate together, specifically targeting opportunities to care for widows and orphans. We've seen a wide variety of passages today to talk specifically about widows and orphans and God's heart for them. We've looked at the one main passage that gives specifics on how to care for a widow. We don't have that for orphan, but it doesn't mean that they're any less important to God. We just don't have that instruction. We have James 127, visit widows, visit orphans. That's where I would say too, anybody that fits the general category for widow deserves a visit from us pretty regularly, right? Like even if they don't need the financial need, we need to visit them. Okay, so we've repackaged that goal. We want to be a presence in this community, targeting opportunities to care for widows and orphans. Then each week I want to give you some action plan for, okay, what do we do right now, right? Not two years from now, but what do we do right now to move us in that direction, okay? So in those terms, number one, let's talk about the widow category. We want to identify anybody that fits this category, and we want to love on them like crazy, And then obviously if there's financial need that plays a part in that too, then we do that as well. And this is not just within our church either. This is a great evangelistic opportunity outside of our church in regards to this too. I know Tyson and Sarah have a widow that lives right next to them in in our neighborhood. Lauren frequently takes our kids to visit an older lady in the back of our neighborhood. Okay, so this isn't just within our church. This can come outside of the church. Like I said, I think Paul's saying, you have to take care of these people. And then when you see beyond that, it's you certainly are free to take care of others that don't fit this category as well. Man, step back and think, do I have widows in my family? Anybody in our church that fits this category? Anybody at work or in my neighborhood that fits this category? And I want to love on them individually, intentionally, okay? We'll do that together as a church as we kind of flesh that out for anybody specifically within our church that fits that category too. Okay, and we'll give you more information about that as we kind of work through that as elders. Okay, secondly, Coweta Pregnancy Services. Okay, this kind of ties in with both widow and orphan in the sense that oftentimes we're talking about single moms, kids without dads that we are trying to help. Okay, now. We've done a great job of giving diapers and, and, and items, and Jordan has done a great job of organize, organizing that, and we want to keep doing that. But I want to expand upon what we're doing in hopes that as people join our church, we can say more than just we give diapers every couple of months. 
right? Like we want to go beyond that. We need that. That's great. And that's something that everybody can participate in. And we will absolutely continue doing that. We need that. I mean, I want to be able to give even our, our kids an opportunity to engage a little bit more. Um, I, I want everybody to have an opportunity to do a little bit more with this organization. This is kind of where we're stepping back and saying we don't have to create something new, but we can create new opportunities for what we've always been doing here, okay? Two areas that I want us to identify and I want you praying through, do you have a role to play in a greater way in this area? The first one obviously goes back to the counseling piece. We've talked about this before. We've pitched it before. Jen kind of seized that opportunity and did it for three years where she factored into her schedule one day a week, made herself available, and she was counseling the women that came to the center. Opportunities to share the gospel, opportunities to build relationships, opportunities to communicate the love of Jesus to them, okay? That opportunity exists and is available through that organization for our church to participate in, okay? Jen can give you more details about that. We'll continue to, as we work through this, give you clear instructions about how to do that as well. Right now, I simply want you praying about that idea, okay? The second piece, and this is where I want the guys to be able to get involved because, you know, <laughs> this, this is something that's obviously very <coughs> heavy laden with the, the women piece. We love going to the fundraiser gala, right? Like it's one of, the, one of the things that I enjoy doing most as a church. We do it in May. It's their big fundraiser event where they have the auction. They have the auction items and we get to go eat and we get to fellowship together that night and we get to give money to them. But as guys, we've kind of talked about, and there's, there's a lot of things that are for women here at this auction, and there are not a lot of things for the men who, who oftentimes have come and want to write a check and are simply writing checks for the things that their, their wives want, right? Like Ben and I talk about all the time. I mean, we, we save a little bit of money, and, and the one year, like, I bought a Yeti cooler. He's bought, like, a saw before, but generally, like, there's not a lot of stuff for the guys there. And even this year, there were some things that got kind of dropped, weren't handled great, and I know in talking with Jen, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into that night and a lot that those women are trying to do. And so we are at least entertaining the idea of approaching them to see if they would want us to at least partner with them or handle the entire auction for them to where we could get some of our guys involved. And we've got plenty of time because it's not till May. And we would get all of their normal people that donate so we shouldn't be short on items but to potentially have some of our men like Ben, who is obviously in the business of finding odds and ends to sell, right? But for us to try to identify and even some of our men to go and talk to businesses and say, hey, we would love for you to donate this item because we know men are going to write big checks for some of these items. I mean, right now I go through the line and I'm like, what do you want, Lauren? Because I don't really want anything here. Man, that's a great way for us to help create more opportunity for giving I don't want to do that without some serious commitment from others in this church that say, you know what, we're going to do this together, right? Like, I, I can do that. I can participate in that and help in that capacity. I think it would be a great way for us to expand our partnership with them, even if it's just coming alongside and helping in that capacity, but to provide more opportunity for people to write checks and to give at that great event, okay? So that's something else to be praying about. Would you be willing to take on some pretty serious responsibility because we certainly don't want to show up that night and there not be anything for that, for that auction. But to really kind of show up and say, man, this is awesome. Like we have found some great items that is going to raise a lot of money for them. All right. And the last thing. 
is foster care. And I want to be very clear in how we, how, we, how we communicate this and pitch this and talk about this because I know adoption and foster care, if we're not careful, we view it as kind of like a trendy thing that the church and Christians are involved in right now. A few years back, it was, it was building wells, right? Like it seemed like everywhere you turned, somebody was asking you for money to dig a well in some country because they needed water which is a great thing, and, and that certainly needed potentially, but it almost became like a trendy thing to be involved in. Foster care is not something to be trendily involved in, okay? It certainly fits the mandate in Scripture that we have a responsibility to care for orphans. And I get they may not fit the, the strict definition of orphan, but they certainly fit into the category of my, my mom and my dad are not caring for me, either by choice or by some other circumstance. They cannot provide the care that is warranted to be given to that child. I get that not everybody can foster care in here, right? Tyson and Sarah have kind of pioneered that for us within our church. Jessica and Alex have come alongside and have started participating in that as well. Others of you may be exploring that, and I don't even know about that yet. What we have talked about as elder leadership is trying to provide opportunities for foster care that everybody can be involved in, regardless of what your current situation is. And there's some different tiers that we want to explore, but here's how we want to do it. Because we've tried different things before, right? Like we tried to do the anchor down moving ministry and we printed up cards and signs and nobody ever called us to move their stuff for free, right? Seemed like a great idea. Not a need because nobody called, right? Um, We even explored the idea of uh, being a part of a a community garden that we were going to try to oversee at what was the Vineyard Church. We even met with the pastor about, hey, what would it look like for us to take control of this piece of land on your property and build a garden where people in the community could come and get food that needed it? Problem was that that he told me at the time, we don't know how long we're going to be here. We're potentially selling the property. So any type of financial investment in that property would be lost as soon as that property was sold. So we kind of backed off of that. I mean, Jesse and Alex were even visiting other farms and gardens trying to figure out how to do it if we moved forward that way. We don't want like a big massive, let's do this and then it not be needed and it kind of fall flat on our face. So I'm going to give you a couple of tiers here. We're asking for one family or one individual to be kind of the guinea pig for each one to determine if there's a need for anybody else to do it. All right, the first one is the easiest, the simplest, the, the least commitment necessary is to be an individual that they could call upon to provide meals when somebody gets kind of a last-minute placement, all right? We've talked with some people that do foster care, tried to get their insight on if we're not foster caring ourselves, what do foster care parents need? And one of the things that came to us was it can be difficult when you get called and told we're bringing somebody to you in the next 30 minutes or so, and you don't have dinner ready, you you don't have anything prepared for that, for us to potentially have an outlet for the organization, the, the county or whoever, to call and say, hey, so-and-so at this address is about to get a placement. Can you please contact them to see if they need anything, any, any materials or any food or anything like that immediately? For us to have somebody on call that could go provide that for them. All right? There may not be a giant need for that. I don't know. But I would love for one family or one individual to say, you know what? I will explore with the elders what I need to do in order to get on a list where I could then determine if that's a need that our church could participate in, all right? The second way is to provide temporary care, temporary child care for foster families that 
need a night off, need to go on a date, and we're still trying to figure out, I don't know, do we ever nail down exactly, a background check would be needed for that, and that's it for babysitting. Yeah, so all you would need to do is submit it for a background check, okay? And we think that they could stay one night potentially with you, all right? But this would just be, hey, I need a break, right? Like, I, I, we, need, we, need, we need to take a, a little bit of time as a family without our foster child. We need somebody to call upon that could do some babysitting for us. To have that background check in the system, to be on a list to where not just people in our church, but foster families in the county could then be able to contact and say, do you mind watching our kid tonight while we take some time as a family? What does that do? It keeps them fostering, right? Like you may not be able to foster, but this family has decided to, and we want to protect them from burnout and them stopping doing it. Okay, so we provide some, some immediate, you know, assistance that says, you know what, I'll, I'll take him. I'll watch over him tonight. Y'all, y'all go do your thing, and, and they're, in good, they're in good care. All right, the next tier that we want you guys to be praying about is to actually go through the entire process, not commit to foster care, but commit to more what's called respite care, where you could then take a foster child for maybe a week while that family goes on vacation, and they're not allowed to take the child with them, Okay. So when you're, foster, when, you're, when you're doing foster care, you may not be able to leave and go do some of those things because legally you're not allowed to take the child with you. But they need family vacations. They need the ability to, to go and do that in order to keep fostering themselves. Okay, We've got the fourth tier kind of covered right now, and we will continue to explore that. And we're even entertaining the possibility, if we had enough interest, to even try to do a training session here where you have to go through the weeks of training to become foster care parents. The training is the same for respite care or foster care, okay? And it's a lengthy process. Different tiers allows everybody to participate, though, right? Like, everybody potentially could make a meal for somebody that gets a last-minute placement, right? No commitment to take care of a child, no commitment to, to bring a child into your home, to clean things up, to find a bed or a bedroom. But you are actively keeping families fostering by providing that immediate care, okay? The child care piece is the second piece. The third piece would be the respite care, which would require you to go through the whole thing, but not require you to become a foster care parent. Simply, you're going to take kids for a week at a time, potentially three days at a time, so that a family could go to a wedding in Florida and they can't take the child with them kind of thing, okay? And maybe as a result of doing that, you even move into the full-time foster care, potentially. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I want you praying about those things, okay? As we think in terms of goals for our church, providing care for the less fortunate, man, I want to make sure that we're not guilty of neglecting widows and orphans. I want to make sure that we are intentional to try to care for them as much as we can, to seek justice for them, to seek care for them. I tried to give you some, some ideas today of how we're exploring that. I want you praying about it. Our next Matt 28 night in September is going to be completely devoted to this piece. Okay, so we're going to have time for question and answer. We're even trying to get potentially some of the people from the foster care um, organization to come and to kind of present and even answer questions that may come about there as well. Okay, so we want you praying about this. We're serious about this. We want to move forward in this area because we believe that this is, this is certainly on God's heart. It's on his radar for us to make sure that we're caring for widows and orphans. So immediate things, identify any widows in your life and start loving on them like crazy. Wait on us to try to figure out if there's anything we need to do as a church within our church context, okay? Coweta Pregnancy Services. 
pray about the possibility of, of for our women being a counselor there for the women that come. For our men or uh, women, pray about potentially taking on some role within the auction and us jumping in and participating in that manner. And then from the foster care piece, we're looking for three families or individuals to be our guinea pigs for meal placement, short-term daycare, babysitting, and then the long-term respite care. We're just looking for three. We want to make sure it's a need before anybody signs up and, and commits too much time to it if, there, if there's not going to be a need, okay? We don't want to think that we're doing something and then, you know, a year from now. You know, we tried that with uh, doing baby showers for the, the girls. We did two, and then it kind of went silent, right? And so we just, we just haven't had that. It hasn't been a need. Most of the girls declined that opportunity at the Coweta Pregnancy Service Center. So we want to see if this is a need before we do anything with it, okay? Um, Tyson's going to come and just sing one song in closing. I know we're kind of late, but I want to give you guys just some time to, to pray, reflect. Our family worship questions for this week are going to be for you to talk about any widows that your family currently knows. What are some ways that you could seek to serve them specifically this week? These are goals that all of us have to kind of have buy into for us to accomplish them as a church. We want you praying about your role in helping us fulfill those goals. God, we praise you and thank you for the time and the word today, for the things that we've seen, the heart that you certainly have for widows and orphans. We certainly want our religion to be pure and undefiled. We want to to be faithful to care for widows and orphans that are within our scope of influence. God, we thank you for the organizations and ministries that are already in place that are seeking to do that. God, give us wisdom in knowing how we can come alongside and partner with them and potentially give every single person in our church an opportunity to serve together in the care of widows and orphans. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.